You know what you're listening to, right? Three, two, one. Uzima Health and Wellness. What did Dr. say? Hi, this is Dr. Kendra Aller with Uzima Health and Wellness, and I have called my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Jacqueline Turner, who's over at Tulane University now, Tulane Medical Center. That's been a career change, not a career change, but a location change for you. So I'm excited to hear about that. But most importantly, we uh, took this time to call you with your busy schedule to talk to us about colorectal disease and and, uh, health disparities. That's a big conversation in the African-American community. And so I wanted to make sure that we uh, had an opportunity to talk about that on Uzema Health and Wellness this year. Dr. Turner, welcome to the show. Dr. Allen, thank you for having us, um, or having me, I should say. It's been a pleasure and an honor to be able to talk with you about some of these important topics. So I'm going to share my screen uh, with you so that you can uh, show us some some information that you uh, have already, okay? So for colorectal cancers and colorectal diseases, there has been a disparities in healthcare when it comes to race and when it comes to payer mix. As you can see in this slide right here, that those that are uninsured are going to be the poor or the near poor, mostly that are uninsured. The not poor obviously have less issues with insurance when it comes to race. The Hispanic population have a much higher number of people that are uninsured compared to Blacks, Whites, and Asians. When we look at if if these groups of different racial populations are getting better access compared to the white counterparts, again, the poor population have worse experience in getting access to healthcare than the high-income population, the Blacks, and the Hispanics have also a, a, a worse chance of getting access to healthcare compared to the white counterparts. For colorectal screening, 77.6% of the whites are, are getting their colorectal screening tests done compared to 71 and 70% of the Black and African Americans. So we are making advances in getting screening done with the minority groups, but we're still not there yet. But one of the most Disparaging statistics is the number of mortalities of colon and rectal cancer within the African-American population. We are still the highest group of minorities to have a mortality from colon and rectal cancer. 46% of African-Americans are going to, are expected to die from colorectal disease in 2021 or expected to die in 2021 compared to 39% in the whites and 30% in the Asian groups. So tumor biology and environment, I have some questions uh, from that. And 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 this is, this is what the media highlights as well. We are saying basically that African-American populations are dying from colorectal cancer more often than any other race, although we have made improvements in colorectal screening. Most people say, oh, I got to get the colon, get my colonoscopy. Oh, I got to go get that. So we are actually seeing uh, improvements. How have we been able to improve colorectal screening? What messaging or did we increase the coverage? What happened? So I think our message is getting out there. I think we are doing a better job. We're still not there yet in getting the message out there. Because a lot of people don't know, for example, that the screening recommendation has changed from age 50 to now age 45. 
And historically, when we looked at that change, it was initially geared towards African-Americans because we had a higher mortality in colorectal cancer, but now it's actually been applied to all of the population. So age 45 for everybody for screening. And we got to educate the people because there's still a lot of people that think that age 50 is the appropriate age to start your screening colonoscopy when it's really 45. And that's a lot of the groups coming together, including the several of the um, gastroenterology societies and the colorectal societies. Do you find that we have a more aggressive tumor? Is is there a genetic composition, genetic makeup of the tumor that we're finding that is more prone to be in Black populations? Kind of like when we talk about triple negative breast cancer in Black women, I mean, are we seeing a difference in the genetics? I think we're, we are, and I think we're still behind in the research. Colorectal cancer research in terms of the genomes and genetics is a little bit behind in breast cancer research. We just don't have as much funding as the breast cancer diseases have reached. Um, so I think we are a little bit behind. From what I've studied, African-Americans tend to have more right-sided tumors. However, we don't have a difference in our HNPCC gene difference. HNPCC, for those who don't know, stands for hereditary non-polyposis colon and rectal cancer. We don't have a difference in that um, genetic issue, but we are having a higher incidence of right-sided colon cancers. So with that said, some of the other factors were um, being studied, and one of them is diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we look at Blacks from Africa, for example, they have a, a diet very high in fiber, Whereas our diet over here in America is a very fatty diet. And a lot of it has to do with uh, nutrition deserts. So a lot of it has socioeconomic um, play into this. So Mm -hmm. when we don't have access to the healthier foods, Mm -hmm. um, this is showing up with uh, colon and rectal cancers. One study actually flipped the diets um, between our African cohorts and found that when we flipped the diets, they were seeing more colon and rectal cancers in that population. So I do think a lot of it is environmental, but some socioeconomic factors playing into in the, in the part. So let's talk about the two things you said, right-sided versus left-sided. I mean, I know as a physician what you're trying to say, but specifically, what do you mean when you say we're seeing more right-sided tumors in the African-American population? What does that mean to you in terms of maybe staging or the fact that this could be bad? Good question. Thank you for asking that. So the colon is broken up into three parts. So you have your ascending colon, which is also your right-sided colon. You have your transverse colon, and then you have your descending colon. Actually, four parts, and you have your sigmoid colon. So it, it it's kind of like a, a question mark going across your body or upside down you with the right side of your colon having being the ascending colon, then it goes across, transverse, down, descending, or the left side. And then sigmoid colon far um, distal all the way down, going towards the pelvis. A lot of African-Americans present with right-sided tumors. And because right-sided tumors can get rather big before they become symptomatic, Mm -hmm. um, some present with a much later stage. Mm, I see. Okay. So the right side of the colon, descending part of the colon? Ascending. Ascending part of the colon. They can present with a lot... Let me ask you this. Some of this is going to be dependent on how well our, our endoscopist uh, was. Do you find that there is a disjoint between your GI doctors doing the scope and then them presenting to you? And this is not to you know throw anyone under the bus, but we have to remember that there's the virtual colonoscopy 
People are also getting the option to do just stool samples. By the way, do you think that's adequate? And then they have to have actual colonoscopy, which is dependent on your trained physician looking for certain things. I have to say, I, I, I think our GI colleagues are doing a great job in detecting colon cancer and polyps. I don't think that's the case at all. And out of my career, and I've done, I can't even count, maybe a thousand <laughs> cases. Mm-hmm. I've only seen two where it was as a result of a missed lesion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think for the most part, they are they are finding them and they are sending them over. So I, I, I think the colonoscopy is honestly the better of the detection tests that you had mentioned. So some of the other detection tests include fecal occult blood testing, immunohistologic testing, FIT, F-I-T, fecal and immunohistologic testing, and then fecal DNA. So those are four different tests. Um, so occult blood just looks for blood in your stool. That's a test that should be done annually. You really should combine that test with um, some kind of endoscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still one of the recommendations on the on our society's guidelines as, as, an, as a viable alternative mm-hmm. um, to doing a colonoscopy. The fecal DNA actually is a, a test in your stool that you can actually, um, when the tumor, when there is a cancer there, it sheds DNA cells that's picked up by this uh, stools test. Again, the FIT test is, is pretty similar. For those last two, I'd rather not wait till I have cancer to, to be detected. But these two tests don't detect our polyps. It detects colon cancer. And I think the population needs to know that, that these stool studies, they detect cancer, which is great. They, they're found to be a good marker for detecting cancer, but they don't detect polyps. Mm-hmm. So if you're high risk for polyps, you're not even a, a candidate for these tests. Um, but if you have an average risk of developing colon cancer, your primary care physician may give you this as an option. But for me, I want something that's going to detect polyps. And the only thing that really detects polyps well is a colonoscopy. Even on the CT scan, you can do a, a what we call a CT um a virtual CT colonoscopy. And again, the polyps have to be a certain size for it to even be detected on the CT scan. They don't pick up these uh, sub um, centimeter polyps. So really small polyps are not detected on the CT scans. We can visually see these little small polyps um, when we do the colonoscopy and remove them at the same time. So not only is it diagnostic, it's also therapeutic. Right. Okay. So let me uh, walk this out. We're saying we're going to get our First colonoscopy, all races, 45 years of age. Those are some of the things we've done. While some hospitals, and I know even with the VA hospitals, they would recommend the occult stool sample test, taking a sample of stool, putting it on this little piece of paper. I remember having to do that and then putting these little drops on it. Blood, no blood. And you combine that still with a colonoscopy, some type of endo, uh, endoscopy where you look into the colon and then there are these new uh, genetic markers, uh, samples, same concept, where you take a sample of stool, put it on some type of paper, you put some drops on it, and yes, for some type of detection of cancer cells. And again, while we are using these less invasive techniques, the deal is the only surefire way to treat early cancer, prevent, pop, uh, prevent early cancer, and treat, like if we see a small... Polyp, you're treating and you're diagnosing and you're preventing, but the ultimate gold standard is to get a colonoscopy. 
I build the gold standard. Hit the nail on the head with that. That's the gold standard. You mentioned that some of our communities that are poor have limited access. And we'll get to some of the other social terms of care. Limited access because, you know, you have to get in line for your colonoscopy. So how are we making a safety net to make sure that patients who are limited have limited access to healthcare can get this, this gold standard test? The VA, you know, has a wait list, but they'll ramp up because that is a marker of quality of care for our military vets. So what are we doing to the general population? I mean, you're in Louisiana, you know, so talk to me about how that works. I'm going to be honest, I'm as I'm learning the new laws, state laws and state uh, resources here in Louisiana, I'm still becoming familiar. Mm-hmm. In Georgia, where I practiced for 10 years, they had cancer state aid. So they supported any of the surveillance tests. It was geared towards those that um, were underinsured. So it, it covered, you know, the vulnerable population that um, may have trouble getting access. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, working at uh, one of the major hospitals in Atlanta, we implemented programs. And one of the programs that we implemented to catch up on um, our screening was to get patients of all insurance status uh, to get uh, the fit testing at least as a screening so that we can kind of triage or those that were more at risk of having colon cancer or getting colon cancer were kind of put at the front of the line because we did have a, a large backlog. So we implemented the, the FIT testing program. And in that case, I, I, I think it was a great um, use of the FIT test because it, it did help us to kind of um, help get those that were at high you know, that were highly at risk um, dealt with first. So it really depends on, you know, how much your local legislature, um, how many how many plans they put in place and, you know, what resources your state has. And again, I'm, I'm learning those here, um, but I definitely want to be involved in the process. I mean, I'm beginning to have those conversations of what that looks like to help some kind of way those who are underinsured to get caught up on their screening. Mm-hmm. And isn't it amazing that you can go from one city to another city or from one state to another state and you have different challenges? And that's when we're totally different. Yeah, it's totally different, right? You know, from education to messaging. And now you're introducing this concept of what we call the political determinants of health, you know, in terms of legislation, coverage. Is it covered? Is it not covered? And then where are patients who fall in this gap going to be? You said Hispanic populations, you and I are both from Texas have a higher rate of not being insured, but their death rates are less? Or you think this is really just marginal differences in terms of statistics? You really think they're still a high, and so it's not really a, uh, we're both a high. You know what? It, it, it actually is hard to tell, honestly, because a lot of the studies, and this is also, when we talk about health equity, research is also involved in health equity. So if our research isn't including that population, then how do we know, you know, if, you know, what the statistics are for, you know, how they react to treatment and, mm-hmm. you know, their outcomes and everything. They, we have to have equity in the research as well. I am glad that with our recent DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that African-Americans are getting more attention, but we, we need to look at all races as well. And, uh, you know, Louisiana is very interesting because you have a Native American population. I, w- I used to work down in Homa, 
And so we, we actually have all groups represented in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. It doesn't take long to get out the city and be in rural, uh, very rural parts of the uh, state with limited infrastructure. Uh, so thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for bringing your colorectal surgical talents and your leadership to Tulane. Thank you, Dr. Turner. What the doctor say?